Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 199 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked, and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks for being with us this week on the podcast. Now in this week's episode, it is my pleasure to chat with Peter Lloyd. Now we chat to Peter about his history in mountain bike racing. He was an enduro racer and raced for white bikes, but unfortunately... After a fall one day on his bike, just out riding with a mate, he was paralysed from the neck down. Now, we chat to Peter about that accident, about that day, and dark days that he had afterwards. And of course, it is such a massive, life-changing event that there's going to be real days of struggle there. But we chat to Peter about it. Peter is very open about it and talks us through what he went through and how things obviously changed so much for his life. But you know what? The guy is back out riding. He's back out on the trails. He's got an off-road buggy, a four-wheel buggy, which he controls with his chin, and he's doing some amazing stuff on the trails. Just go to his Instagram and check out some of the amazing footage on there of him riding this buggy. The guy is so mentally strong, it is unbelievable. To go through what Piers went through, to be able to chat about it, and to be able to have such a great outlook in life going forward. He does work with a lot of charities. He's obviously trying to bring a bit more awareness to the spinal injury issues that... Anybody can have, obviously, but mountain bikers have, you know, and these crashes do happen. And the worst ones you probably never really hear about, you know, because it's it's happening to somebody like you or somebody like me, just a weekend warrior. So he's bringing real awareness to this problem that we're having or this issue. And he's, he's getting involved in charities and trying to help. It's absolutely amazing. And I'll not go into it in too much detail. I'll let Peter explain more about it and more about his accident, etc. But he is one of the most inspiring people I have ever chatted to, to be honest. So I'll just let him get on the show. I'll stop talking. I'll let Peter get on. He's such a cool guy. It is unbelievable. So let, let's get him on the show. Without further ado, let's get Peter Lloyd on the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi, Peter. Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How's things with you this morning? Hi, Gareth. Yeah, uh, all good. All good. Thanks, um, buddy. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Thanks for coming on the show. It's uh, it's going to be great to chat to you because we've got quite a lot to chat about, um, a lot of interesting stuff, and hopefully a lot of stuff that can help people. So, yeah, thanks so absolutely. much. Cool. Now, you... Um, you know, you've had a good a good old race career there. Now, am I right in saying you were an ex-pro enduro racer? Oh, don't you call it pro. Like, uh, <laughs> semi-pro, realistically, was always going to be middle of the bag. If I made it to EWS, it probably would have been max of top 30, top 50, if I'm being completely honest. But yeah. uh, I had a good time. Yeah. Yeah, excellent, mate. Excellent. And, you know... 
it's a funny old world, the, the race game, isn't it? It's so competitive now, man. It is unbelievable. Oh, the level where folks are stacking it, stepping it up to, um, and just how tight it is. Like, you've seen it this weekend, like this week with the uh, EWS at Val de Fassa. Like, the times were so tight, like half a second over 30 minutes between Jack Moore and, like, Richie Roode. It's nuts. Yeah, it's crazy, dude. Those guys are so dialed in, like. Oh, yeah. Like, huge like And um, watching some of the track videos, like, those tracks look so good. But to ride at that speed for 30 minutes consistently, like, um, I raced Latwil and, like, it was just a whole massive step up from anything ever raced in the UK. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's one thing to do sections like that slow when you can take your time and you can look at it and you can, you know, you know, edge your way down it. But those guys are trying to hit it full on, full speed. It's a different game altogether. Absolutely. Crazy, man, crazy. Let's chat a little bit about your background, Peter, because I want to know what got you interested in mountain biking in the first place like what what sparked your you know your your interest in it um oh probably a case of like uh as a child enjoyed riding bikes eventually was like i'm going to save up for a decent bike i was like what was i like 14 i bought like a carrera fury um from halfords like excellent starter bike it's good you're gonna get for 500 quid yeah and uh yeah, rode that until it snapped. Um, <laughs> what was it? And then I think got involved with the local cycle, like, cycling club. They did cross-country rides, found a like local small little downhill free ride track, like max of one-minute runs. Um, and I was like, this is fun. And obviously through that, you meet people who are more into the gravity side of mountain biking. And then... Uh, yeah, in terms of, it was just happened to be like when Enduro started. And mm. I was like, had some fitness from riding XC, like at this like point, like level super low. <sighs> Enjoyed Daniel. It just, it just made sense for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so you were at school at this time, right? Yeah. I was at school. Um, Standard kid, like riding as much as I could. Yeah. Had you any school pals that rode with you or? Uh, I had one, but no one that was really, no one that was really, uh, really into, into it like I was. Always mm. remember, like, I was a sixth form at school, and, uh, my first car, my first car, like, a passport test was, like, an 05 Vauxhall combo, like, <laughs> ex-British gas. It had deadlocks, it was great for not getting bikes in it, um, <laughs> but it just looked like a shit tip. But uh, it was, yeah, good for riding bikes. And I was like, other people were like, like cars, and they're like, what is this guy? And I'm like, I didn't really care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Like, have you seen the scene change much yeah. since back then, you know, to what it's like now? Um, I mean, yeah. Like, I think, like, people, the biggest thing that I've noticed is bikes and equipment are actually seems like they're getting built stronger, getting built 
tough out, which is what you need. Because I don't know, I don't know if you noticed this, but you get to a, like I felt like you get to a certain speed, especially when I was still racing, and it wasn't if but when you'd break stuff. Mm. Maybe even now, like if you ride if you ride fast and you ride regularly, you want to buy new because you will be using that warranty. It's not it's not if but when. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm not riding fast enough or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, no, but it seems like weight has become less of a concern, which is only a good thing. And uh, yeah, people are going faster. People are going riding harder. Trails are yeah, getting more consistently technical and steep. That's what I enjoyed. And I'm glad it's going that way, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And then there's some you- people that, you know, maybe like, some of the older uh, people in the like riding from years before maybe feel a bit disenfranchised by it, but I think most people it's going a cool direction. Yeah, yeah. Do you think guys are getting faster because of the bike, the technology kind of behind it, or is it a combination of that and guys are looking after their fitness more, they're in the gym more, they're just concentrating on it more? It's their life. It's their life at the end of the day. It's their income. Um, I think it's kind of a. Uh, self-fulfilling like kind of circle like uh trails get harder so people get bikes that are better for riding steep technical stuff people and like because like that they're going faster riding harder they need to get stronger and i think it's all kind of goes around the big old circle positive mm-hmm. feedback loop that's why that's what i feel like i could be wrong but like I'm happy to admit when I am wrong, but like that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, yeah, cool. So you did you grow up in Edinburgh? You're there now at the minute, right? Uh, so I grew up in uh, in the Midlands, like in Dudley, like not far from Birmingham in England. Uh, grew up there. Like spent a lot of time riding in Shropshire and kind of mid mid Wales, North Wales, because that was like two hour drive from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moved up. Uh, moved up to Edinburgh in 2015 for uni for a mechanical engineering course, which puts me an hour from the Tweed Valley, which was a uh, which was a big big part of my decision making. It was either going to be Scotland near the Tweed Valley, uh, Sheffield, or South Wales. Yeah, and it was mainly just because you you were choosing your university due to the trails they had. Uh, yeah, trails and an element of the mechanical engineering course. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, man. I don't know anybody else on the planet except mountain bikers and surfers that do that. They look at their college depending on how close it is to waves or how close it is to good trails. Yeah, you can, I think you can put like all the kind of outside outdoor sport lifestyles in there, like climbers and kayakers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Because uh, I know a load of guys that come. Uh, I live in the north coast in Port Rush here, but we have a university, yeah. Corian. And then there's obviously Queen's Belfast, which is about 60 miles away. But I know a load of guys, you know, that have come to Corian just because it's close to the surf. You know what I mean? Nah, I can respect that. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. Huge respect for that. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. So when you were growing up at that age, 14, 15, you were getting anti-bikes. You said you joined a club. But do you think the club environment really helped push you forward, got you people to ride with and got you more interested? Was that important for you at that stage? 
It it was. It was um it was a very XE orientated club. But like it was still important. Like it's that first step, isn't it? Yeah. And then you find out what you enjoy, which for me was like I enjoy the gravity side more. But like it was still that first step and I'm still thankful for it. Yeah. 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 I think it's very important, you know, because there's so many people getting into it at the minute. We we know the scenario, we know bike stock and everything else um, through the COVID pandemic. But I think it's quite an important thing for people to realise that if you want to go a little bit further, a club's a, a really good place to go. You know, because I asked a lot of guests that come on the show if, if you know, a piece of advice for somebody starting out. And the club thing's important, I think, to get involved that way. Yeah, I, for me, it's kind of, I think it's, I think so when you get into it, like when you first get into it, you just need to meet anyone. Like when you find like meet a couple of people, it kind of like your circle widens and like, it might take you a while to meet the sort of the people that you like, like you're kind of like enjoy the same kind of riding people you get on with, people at kind of your level want the same thing as you. But like, it's kind of like you get, you get into the kind of mountain bike community and from there it, like for me, it just kept whining and whining out. And obviously the race circuit helped with that loads. But um, yeah, I think that, that was it for me, I think. Like yeah. You meet a couple of people, through them you meet more people. It just, it just yeah, extrapolates. Yeah, totally. And they normally have good night, you know, they have nice trips planned at stages throughout the year, which is always good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I just still remember like, back then it was like going to a trail centre seemed like a really big thing and like if you'd asked me like when i was still riding up like a trail center i think up until even near the tweed valley for like two years and it took me i think it was well tweed valley obviously is just nuts for riding bikes but like i think it took me like another two years to before i'd actually done one full trail center loop it's just like Mm -hmm amazing how the scenes progressed and like the level rises and like you know it's still great they're there but um trail centers aren't the destination anymore yeah yeah it's crazy the way things are changing definitely so let's chat about your racing then so when did you get the racing bug then when can you remember your first race and why you wanted to do it oh oh yeah so this was like 2016 no i was i was 16 not 2016 obviously and it was uh the uk gravity enduro series i think back then it was called like 661 like organized by steve parr who who'd like been involved in the national downhill series years before mm-hmm. he started a few i think it was like a third fourth round of that year it was at eastridge woods in shropshire um and i turned up on my little career fury hardtail i uh, i won under 18 um on the basis of being the only under 18 uh <laughs> i crashed a lot i was very slow um but i enjoyed it and it was like cool people around and then did like the whole series my parent obviously parents were like super super supportive couldn't be more thankful for it and did like the whole race series 2012, 13, 14. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just went from there. 
Yeah. And like, what, what, why did you like it? What did you enjoy about it? Are you competitive or, you know, why, why did you like it so much? Things that, yeah, it's, it's, it's a competitive, being competitive. And now I also think at that point you couldn't, you didn't, wasn't really another way. It seemed like it was really to get into the mountain biking properly, like for a dedicated community, like racing seemed like the only option back then. Mm-hmm. I think social media has kind of changed things a bit in a way. Um, but yeah, and just like pushes you to make yourself. I think, I think one of the great things about mountain biking is that as a as a solo sport with like a community element to it, it's I enjoy pushing yourself. Like all the all the want all the want and need to progress is. It's from inside, and the constant reward of getting like the reward you feel of getting faster and riding different stuff. That's what I really enjoy. Like, never quite felt team sports. Like, it was mm. alright, but like, it's something missing. I quite like the fact that if you screw up, it's on you, which obviously I have, and at least I know it's on me, and I can accept that. But uh, yeah, I yeah. like that. Yeah, it's cool, and you know, I suppose you you go to destinations and you ride you ride trails that you probably never would if you weren't in the race scene as well. Oh, absolutely, and like, yeah, it just pushes you on. Oh, I remember the very first time I came to an Ethan, and before I went for my first practice, it was an element of being scared, like just look, like having never like mountain biked and like steeper longer terrain i was like looking around i was like these hills are steep like i'm scared <laughs> like what was that would have been like 16 then you're like, still on your hard tail no so i think by then like oh what was it my my dad's surprised i couldn't i'm super lucky my dad surprised me on christmas with like a lapier spicy 316 right wow um like he found it, he found it cheap on eBay and like sent from Poland or something. Uh, knew it wasn't stolen. I, I can confirm it was not stolen. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, that back then, what was it? It was like a one sixty travel bike with a sixty six degree head angle. Yeah. Wow. Um. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that and then from there things moved on. But like, yeah, that was a. Uh, that poor bike. Feel for it. <laughs> uh, looking through your uh, your race results and stuff here, you were on white bikes quite a lot there. You, you seem to be riding a lot of them. What did you think of those? They're a lovely looking bit of, bit of plant. Yeah, no, they were um, I, like super. Like, the race team like support from them was incredible, and uh, it's cool seeing the progression from what I was riding then to what I was riding now. Mm-hmm. Uh, to what they produce now, kind of thing, and um, <laughs> they uh, honestly, what what impressed me the most is that I can't remember any of the team cracking a frame in the three years I was with them, mm-hmm. which you got five, four or five guys pushing hard, riding a lot. Like, that's that's impressive. Uh, mm-hmm. That's impressive. That's an impressive like rep to be going on with like looking back now like what was riding like what was riding then the leverage curve was not nice it was regressive 
I changed those were too short relative to the front centre. But like they 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 rode well. Like at the time for what they were like the competition at the time, they rode well and they were fun to ride. Um like at times I learned more and was like I want to move to something else later on. But uh they were I'm really thankful for the time I had with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what uh, team was uh, that you were riding with, Peter? So it was the White Bikes, like UK fat like factory team. Um, wow, amazing! I, yeah, the opportunity was incredible. Like I spent time riding with the team manager, good guy. Um, like he took me. I remember he was taking me to like the UK, like they're called mini downhill races, like a one day push up downhill race on small like like the Forest Dean and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, like super thankful for the opportunity. Good memories. Um, also, recently as a as a young racer, like the financial the financial help, like it wasn't we weren't paid, but like they covered like most of the expenses and even just like you ride a lot, like replacing bikes and stuff. It's expensive. Mm, yeah. we're good. I was super in a position having a a new top spec. Like 160 travel bike each year, which like I did like I'm doing like 3,000 miles a year on them. Like you go mm. through drive trains, you go through so many sets of tires. <laughs> you know, that's big deal. Yeah, yeah, man, it's crazy. It's crazy. And like at that stage, were you thinking, you know, this is something you'd like to do professionally? Were you were you thinking along those lines? I think I. I would have loved to have done it, but I, honestly, I didn't think I had the natural talent. Because okay. uh, in juniors, I was racing, racing you got like the same years as guys like Elliot Heap and Lee Johnson. Mm. And they were just on another level completely. Like, I, w- I won the, like, the under 18 like, series title that year, one year, by virtue of coming fourth every round or something daft. But Lee <laughs> Johnson, like, so fast like the amount of time he put into me and like most of the other guys was insane like i knew i didn't have the natural talent if i was honest like where i could see myself was maybe being a mechanical engineer at a bike company and mm-hmm. racing some ewss as as much as a hobby as much as anything else maybe living the camp the mountain bike um, lifestyle in the summer Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's where I saw myself. I'm being completely honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, with uh, your interest in engineering and stuff, I could understand your, yeah. you know, how you would be really into the bike design and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's where I saw myself. Um. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Interesting. Um. You know, it, it's funny. Like a lot of the young guys now you know it's it's just such a you know we, we touched on it and how fast these guys are and everything a bit earlier there and a lot of the young guys now you know obviously it's something they want to do as a career but it's so competitive like so competitive absolutely um and the level like i think to to really to really go places like i know uh saying about hard work but i think to really reach the top of any sport you need the natural an element of natural talent and and the hard work mm-hmm. and obviously the to be in the right 
to be born into the right, well, I guess, financial circumstances mm. mm-hmm. to make it possible because motorbike isn't cheap. And I know there's some people that manage it without like super supportive, a super supportive family, but like it's so much harder for them. Like I recognise it, like kind of recognise your privilege kind of thing. And I was lucky in that regard. Um, but yeah, to do well, like you need, yeah, talent and hard work. Yeah, you need a lot of chips to fall on the right right side up kind of thing, you know. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good expression for it. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, crazy. Um, so Peter, let's chat about your crash. Um, yeah, and how and how that's changed things, and and that's you know why you're on here today, and you're wanting to spread the word, and how we can help people hopefully and get through hard times. Do you want to tell us about what happened on that day? Um, if anything was different, or do you want to just take us through it? Are you okay with that? Um, I don't know. Just I was just going to probably. I was going to be using a set of, like set a scene of where I was in my like what I was doing before then. But first, that was alright. Like I moved away from white bikes. I was like with Starling cycles. And, like I was like at this point, I was still experimenting with like geometry and stuff. Like mm-hmm. what was it, 2017? It was riding something with a 62 and a half degree head angle, mm. like 530 reach. When you'd account for stack, it was probably more like 510, 500, but like mm-hmm. kind of working, um, piecing things together for myself. Right. And what um, does that mean? What does that mean, those those kind of percentages and all? Um, so that's putting us into where the geometry of where the modern 180 mil travel in enduro bikes numbers are right now. Right. Like, um, yeah, but I guess yeah, it would have been four years like four years ago. Like this was like I'm not wasn't pushing it by any means like Chris Porter and uh and then uh Paul who uh, kinda of copied Chris, um were more like did that first, but uh, like I was piecing things together on my own. Mm-hmm. Like ideas I still hold now. Um like kind of working out front to center, front center, rear center ratio, like weight distribution. Although, like bike nerd, like I'm still a full bike nerd. Still got ideas that I wish I could physically test by riding them, but I'm yeah. kind of pretty confident in them. Uh, doing less racing, riding for fun more. Things are good. Um, so yeah, okay, that's the crash. This was like 2017, August 2017. Uh, I'd done a summer season like as a guide in Final League era, like second year doing that. Come back, life was pretty good. Uh, I'd done like a race the Sunday before, just just down a normal like, obviously uni holidays, best mates like lived in Tweed Valley in Leithen, just like for a normal ride with him. Uh, yeah, um, well the Golfy Trails, which are now famous, um. And where the Tweed Valley, Tweed, the like, EWS is coming back to the Tweed Valley in the Tweed Valley in October this year. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, last trail of the day, like probably last two hundred meters of it, the least technical part of it. I guess an element of my brain switching off. Pretty chill, uh, and I think my front wheel just hit a 
tiny stump or a root or something I didn't notice. Spat the front wheel out of the way, um, went straight over, landed on the top of my head, heard a crack. No, it was never like knocked out at any point. Heard a crack, and you uh, realize you can't move anything or even breathe properly mm. or shout, which was petrifying. Um, my mate was ahead, like still best mate to this day. Uh, yeah, uh, still doing, still doing stupid stuff in my my buggy, like what I call my mountain biking now. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he he was like, it's only a thirty second section of trail. After I wasn't there within like five or ten seconds, he was like, something's not right. He comes running back up the trail. Uh, um, yeah, it's like, well, this isn't good. Um, has, didn't have a phone with him, so he has to get my phone out of my pocket. I can't, I don't have the breath to talk. So at the level I broke my neck at, it was C3, like cervical spine. Like It is the, if it had gone any higher, I wouldn't be able to breathe at all. Wow. Um, so I probably had like a tiny percentage of like the control of my diaphragm. Uh, so I couldn't, I couldn't, yeah, I could barely breathe, couldn't speak. He had to try and, trying to get, tell him the number of my passcode so he could use my phone. Oh, jeez. Oh, but yeah, anyway, I think it was like ambulance, ambulance, fire service, and then a Coast Guard helicopter. That got me out. Uh, and yeah, I think I remember passing out and get, when I was on loads onto the helicopter and not remember anything else until A&E. Mm-hmm. And then, oh man, eight weeks where I was unconscious for most of it in ICU. Really? Really? Um, like, yeah, I can't imagine how bad it was for my parents and like my... Uh, my partner at the time like it was yeah yeah it was rough it must have been well rough i can't imagine but i don't i don't know what it was to experience it by like i've heard um yeah then six months in a spinal unit so a spinal unit there were i think there were 12 in the uk and then there's one in and there's one in belfast um uh they're just rehabilitation centers so rehab which uh, i guess to my idea of a rehab center was to get you back to the like your movement of what you were doing before but unfortunately with the reality of a spinal cord injury it isn't always possible mm-hmm. um a rehab is in getting used to living with your injury um so sorry, um, so a spinal cord injury at C3, uh, like diagnosis is C3 complete. So I don't have any movement or feeling below my neck. So I'm paralyzed below my neck. Probably quite an important bit. I should have mentioned it first. Um, but yeah, spent six months in spinal in Glasgow and then another, well, like four months in spinal in Glasgow where I was lucky enough um to have come off a ventilator like i was ventilated for three four months wow through retracheostomy in my neck 
and was lucky enough to be able to breathe myself, which, like, still to this day, I'm super thankful for. Um, and then, yeah, another four months in a local hospital until sorted out accommodation, somewhere I could actually live again. Mm. Yeah, that was, you... I spent a year of my life in hospital. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow, it's it's nuts, man, just to think. And, you know, it's crazy because I was chatting with my mate the other day and he was saying, because I broke my collarbone and it was, it's basically taking two years to get it right. Yeah. You know, but <clears throat> why I say that is when, where I broke it was on a flat piece of ground on a corner and it wasn't steep, it, it wasn't technical, and I just washed out the front end. I still don't realize how I done it or why it happened, but it can happen at just any time when you're not concentrating. And I think that's the thing when you get to a certain level and then you're on these other areas of trail that are not technical or not steep or not super fast, you lose concentration and that's when bad things can happen. Um, like yeah. it's, it's crazy. Like, do you go back and think about that, about that moment of your crash and why it happened or? Um, so I, I definitely agree with you about the concentration thing. Like, mainly, I would think I've done pretty well in seven years of, like, mountain biking a lot to, well, mid to high level. Like, mm-hmm. I think I've done really well. I'd had shoulder dislocation I needed, needed operated on. And that was washing out on some marbles on a turn at Canic Chase, pushing slightly too hard. Mm. Like front wheel push, rear wheel push. Like I've, got, I've actually got that crash on slow, like a slow mo, saved on my phone. Like someone was recording me at the time. And it's like arm out on the side. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things you're not concentrating on. Like, um, and yeah, this trail at the end of the day chill riding with your mate last 200 meters kind of switching off a little bit yeah and yeah it, it's it is like i've been thinking about it i've done way more risky things like like big gaps like thinking about it like how scared i've been for like a 40 foot double and that scares me even thinking about that <laughs> I was I was lucky that the spot I grew up riding was like it was a free ride spot. It was like you either learn to ride gaps and jumps or you don't really ride that much at all there. Yeah, which wow. kind of at least you don't at least when you're racing you don't have to you're not scared about the, the jumps and the gaps, like it's not a new thing for you. Um but yeah, like that. But yeah, the things you're not concentrating on, things you're not yeah, concentrate one hundred percent are thinking about what you're doing that's when accidents happen yeah. like thinking about it now even if you're riding an easy thing a trail an easy section of trail i think as long as you're constant truck constant your riding is the best way to avoid a stupid accident like even if it was concentrating on one tiny element of technique like just having that would have probably prevented me being in the position i was yeah um yeah super unlucky like um i don't know for me when i like riding i i think i accepted the inherent risks of riding mountain bikes like there is a tiny 
There's a tiny chance that you'll have an accident and things will go horribly wrong. That happened to me. Mm. Like, there's a tiny chance of that. But like I've known people that have been riding bikes for 20 years, high level, like a lot, and never really experienced stuff like that. They'd have like collarbone breaks, shoulder injuries, wrists, etc. But that's kind of par for the course. Yeah. Sounds bad to say, but it is. Um, but yeah, something something life changing like this isn't is it's it's a tiny risk that I accepted. And uh yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of those things, isn't it, when you get into mountain biking and you start to push yourself a bit more. You know, we all understand there's risks there and you know, you talk to anybody that's kind of been racing or has been at it for a number of years, they've all they've all broke something at some stage. And I think realistically if we're to look at it we we look at those things and say okay that may happen to me it may not but you know i think for the likes of your injury the c3 complete spinal injury we we kind of push that to the back of our mind and we don't tend to think about that kind of thing yeah um and to be honest that's the best thing you can do yeah um if you're thinking about it a you're not going to enjoy your mountain biking if you're worried about and riding super tight it's more likely to happen mm. like the best thing for riding well is confidence it's like it's, it's something i noticed like yeah you got the fancy enduro and fancy downhill leagues like if you're picking riders choose anyone that's on the race form which means they've got confidence when you've got confidence you ride fast mm-hmm. you tend to you ride you ride better you're concentrating like your belief in yourself um, is the some of the one of the best things you can have. Um, but yeah, you couldn't enjoy mountain biking if you were thinking about if that if the risk of something bad happening was forefront in your mind or anywhere near it. Yeah. And I can see how this changes if you're older with a family mortgage etc um but as a young racer it isn't something like you've got to switch off from it yeah but you know it's there but unless you switch off from it like you know you can't you can't push hard what you think if you're thinking about that no totally not um it's it's crazy like when you got the when you got the news peter that you know of your injury like how how did you deal with that mentally like i'm just trying to get a scenario like you're very active you're really into your mountain bike and it, you know you know from that point it's going to completely change your life like how did you deal with that what was your support like you know like just to talk us through that to see if, if anybody going through something similar if, if we can help and how you dealt with that um so at the time my Parents were 300 miles away, but came up regularly. Like they were there, really supportive. I had a then fiance, which was looking back was something I regret. Like I, I still feel, I still kind of, I still treat it as a massive mistake even now. Like putting pressure on someone, but like. They're proposing A and E. I was so scared that she would leave me. Like, mm-hmm. I was scared about what my life would be like. I think 
during the whole rehabilitation process? Like, you get told stuff by consultants, but you don't want to believe it's going to happen. You hear stories about people making a full recovery from a spinal cord injury. Like, ah, uh, you think you think that it's it's not it's you're going to make a full recovery. Like, you think that you work hard. Like, I train six days a week. I was like, I was the strongest I've ever been. Um, and but it's shit. I mm. a spinal cord injury like that is. And in terms of making your recovery from it, is 80-90% luck and the 10 to 20% hard work. Um mm-hmm. and like anyone listening, don't get me wrong, I people that made the full recovery, like think Brooke McDonald, like so much respect for him, what he's done. What a guy. Um but just for the people that don't quite understand it, like hard work will only get you so far. Um, so I just, I don't know, don't know, don't know how I'm coming across, but yeah, I was, so I, at this point I was, I wanted to believe I'd make a full recovery, it's like even to the point of being like, looking at, not, maybe not seriously looking at it, but being like wanting to go into like intensive physio, physiotherapy and stuff, but the... Yeah, the, I remember the consultant saying like there are people that will spend any money they've got access to hoping to make a full recovery, find out it's not possible, and then that money that could have been used to make your life better after the accident is gone. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible mistake, and you're living with that. So eventually, kind of coming around to it, like what how my life is changing, but I like even then like. Four six months later in the spinal unit, I couldn't see my life without mountain biking, without be able to do any like any any exercise really. Yeah, like yeah. anyone that rides or does any sport kind of realizes the benefits of exercise and sport to their mental health. Like. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I don't know what I'd do with my time. Like, I'd be riding or training six days a week. I couldn't, I didn't know what I'd do with that time. It's like, I didn't really have any hobbies. So, like, outside of mountain biking, like, I trained in the gym, like, weights, climbed, climbed for, for like, recreationally for fun. But I genuinely didn't have any hobbies that weren't, like, physical exercise activity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess it was an element of coming around to it. The days that you just wake up and like, I just cry. I didn't didn't know what I was crying about, but I cry like I have memories of like nurses in the spine unit just giving me a hug, crying in bed in like in this ward, and it was shit. Yeah. Um. Like I had a fiance that like she saw me every day for like saw me every day for six months or something and i would like we're up together now but i like kind of regret what i put her through like i still think about that i feel bad about it but i don't know certainly anyone knows what they're gonna do in that position yeah man totally and then since then it's just been working out 
you didn't have to you didn't have to leave in hospital. I spent that year in hospital. Like our first winter was really dark. Like didn't <laughs> all the people I was close to were riding bikes. Like I'm now now we're in a house, which I'm super thankful for. Just great, being adapted. Had friends that were brilliant guys that like helped people that helped put like put in a wet room for me, which I need like ramps, like knock through a wall between like a living and living room bath, like a kitchen, mm. like build a patio. Like super lucky to be in that position, and it was just dark because like I was in a new relationship, which looking back was wrong for me. It wasn't healthy. Both of you kind of unhappy. It's dark. It's cold. Feel isolated. Don't have anything I'm really living for. And uh, yeah, it got better from there. But um, it's yeah, it's shit. There's no other way of saying it. Yeah, yeah, um, it's very tough. I'm lucky that I know I've been. My mental health's always been good. And I've been lucky with that. But like I know I was I was in a super dark place, so I can't imagine how people that struggle war with their mental health go through. Which is part of why I kind of volunteer. Like I teach wheelchair skills with our charity backup trust who offer mentoring uh, wheelchair like wheelchair skills for inpatients, like various courses. Like in normal times, I'd be in like every like once a month or something to the spiny unit in Glasgow, mm-hmm. like an hour, hour and a half drive away. I'd be through there um, for wheelchair skills, trying to teach people um, more than just peer support, really speaking to someone that's a year or two on from where they are now and you can't see anyone like in your position. You don't know what life's going to be like. I remember... What was hard for me was I didn't hadn't seen anyone with a high level spinal injury that was doing adventurous stuff. Like there was someone peer support for another charity, Spinal Injury Scotland, which was really cool. Like it's cool to speak to him, but he just he just like, I know everyone's different and like adventurous stuff isn't like outdoor sports isn't everyone's bag. But like I remember his description of what his life was like, and I was like that. That sounds shit. Like that, that doesn't make me happy about my future. Mm. So I've kind of an element of working out, like backup have helped, an element of working out as I've gone along to being in a position now where I've got my buggy, which I used to go mountain biking, like with my mate still. Um, and like life's good. Like mm-hmm. it's different. And I've got, but like, I'm happy. Yeah. Like that yeah. process is hard and it takes time. Oh, big time, big time. I can only, I can only but imagine, you know, but the biking thing seems to have helped you through, you know, and you're, you're now back in the saddle, you're riding your off-road buggy and I've seen footage of you uh, and a pump track or something on the buggy, like. Oh, we've uh, done worse than that, it's brilliant. <laughs> I can only but imagine, man. Like, you know, when did you decide 
that that was something you wanted to do. You wanted to go. Now, I know you're super adventurous. You've done loads of challenges and all since that time. But when did you decide to get into the buggy? And this was something you were you were going to go for 100%. Oh, I was I was still like in a spiny unit, like working out what the hell I was going to do. And it was actually it was actually a really cool physio physiotherapist. Like the physiotherapy team, like in Spania, like super cool. There was someone that was involved in backup. Like they organised ski trips, and she was showing me like off to off road wheelchairs, like one of like one of which I ended up buying, mm-hmm. which was it was the first one I'd ever made with the chin control. So yeah, right. I control it with my chin. Mm. Um, and all the way back then, it was like this is. This is I want one of these. Like I was, me- I messaged the country, the company. So made by a company in France. Like he imports them, and I met- was messaging them about one. Even when I was in the spawning unit, it just wasn't until January eighteen I actually had mine delivered. Mm. But like it was all the way, all the way back then. Um, I knew that this was still this is still something I want to do. Like, um. And yeah, it was. I mean, one of the best thing about it, it, one of the best things, well, there's loads of cool things about it being with your friends, doing what you like, being outdoors, being out in the sticks, knowing that in 90% of the ride, 90, 95% of the rides I do, I might be the first wheelchair user that's ever been there. Yeah in that place yeah. it's super cool and even things as simple as like when you can find to pavements and paved surfaces and even something simple if you zoom around like an, a road or something the buggy not not caring about curbs like it's weird to say it, but like how freeing that is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um uh but yeah the but yeah so the buggy I know I need to mention like the mountain bike community, like people fundraised for me after my accident. There was it was someone that I never met before. I think he was through like at this point there was like a community group, Steel is Real, like mountain bike group. Yeah, Steel is Real, yeah. 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 Um he was, he was Ben Mills. Ben Mills, I hope he I hope he hears this. Like what a guy, never met him before, never spoken to him. He organized this fundraiser. Got loads of companies involved, loads of people that were, oh, loads of people involved, like um, Steve Parr of like, the Mountain Bike Race Series I was involved with. But anyway, people raised 17 grand for me, which wow. pretty much all went into the off-road wheelchair I bought. And I think everyone that donated would be happy to hear that that's how I spent it. I'm so yeah. thankful I did. And um, yeah, thanks to everyone. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, totally, dude. You know, and it's just another nice thing about the mountain bike community. They seem to be just really top guys, like, and guys will just out of the woodwork come out and just help you, even though they don't know you or anything. But they they see your issue and everything else, and they they deal with it and they go about it how they can. Like, there's some amazing characters in the community. Yeah, well, guys and girls, it's uh, it's yeah. great to see. It's great to see, like. So many more women in mountain biking now. Like, 
and the push for diversity i i am fully fully on board with this yeah. like the more people in different backgrounds that are out riding bikes and enjoy themselves yeah is cool like yeah for sure like you, there's a there's a, there's a there's a demographic in mountain biking which is partly as as a result of how expensive it is and anyway to get more diversity into it and more people and different viewpoints is really cool yeah yeah Yeah. amazing so tell us about the buggy you're on now are you still on the same buggy or is it a different one uh same buggy it's had a lot of work done Right, I know you're into your take and all. Tell us a little bit about it, what you've got done to right. it, just so that people yeah, yeah. understand. So you can visualise it. Yeah, yeah, So it's like, it's about a metre wide, like 1.8 metres long or something. Four 20-inch wheels, rear-wheel drive. Um, So it's controlled by a little joystick under my chin, which is mounted on a, like, bib on my chest. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so when I first had it, it was, uh, suspension was for 50 pound DNM shocks. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they had damping, mm-hmm. um, but it was sort of there. Um, got memories of snapping one oh, and the, the oil volume was so little that we didn't even see any oil drip out. Um, but yeah, since then, I've got, I've sent, like, had it in a motorsport workshop, like, getting a better fitted, like, motorsport seat, like a better harness. Um, the, <laughs> yeah, um, so Chris Porter and Mojo Rising between him and EXT. I've now got uh, four EXT Story of V3s on it which is incredible like yeah. it rides so well um still need still need to get a stiffer spring in the back but uh it like, it's incredible uh what like got a custom like wheel set built up with like 30 spit 36 spoke super heavy duty uh spokes the widest bmx rim i can find got four like tires um v to a flow snap which kind of minion dhs style tread right but they really do those awesome. in the 2.4 20 inch with a tacky tread yeah wow um i think i'm running at the minute i'm running tannis tire arm tannis tire armor with tubes might work out a tubeless solution don't know okay um uh we've moved the batteries around like the battery box used to sit behind the chassis super over the back we've moved that forwards between the chassis and the seat it's like moved everything it used to understeer was terrible so we moved everything as far forward as possible <laughs> get weight on the front wheels crazy so steer that involved a full rewire like i've got like lucky with the friends i've got i got a friend that's an electrical engineer he's rewired the whole thing um another friend like my best mate we've we've had gearboxes apart 
Yeah, just just making up for poor engineering at first. Yeah. To be honest, like super thankful for what it is, and it was way better than anything else at the time. But just like little things not en- engineered very well throughout. Like not the motors hitting the frame before bottom out. So we got oh, wow. some spaces built up to move the motors further away so this wouldn't happen. Then the guys at Mojo put bottom out, like changed the stroke of the rear shocks so that it wouldn't bottom out on itself as well. Oh, so many things. Yeah, it, man, it's a rebuilder. Yeah, and I've currently, that same friend is currently building some cu- a custom battery that goes right underneath the seat. Increase mm-hmm. the range, like, way as close to the ground as physically possible. And like, I feel like my Instagram is probably the best place to see what the hell I get up to in it. But, like, <laughs> yeah. I've um, done it, like, gone off a three-foot drop in it. Oh, my word. Like, good friends involved, though, like, Willie, like, we'll, we'll be like, sometimes I'll be like, I can do this. This is a good idea. He'll be like, yeah, I'm not sure. But if I'm confident enough, he'll help me try it. And other times he'll be like, you can do this. And I'm like, no, this is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of video of doing a three foot drop. Him like holding on to this kind of like, couldn't use a towie, like the uh, thing for, for parents to tow kids around. Right, like yeah. Elasticated tow, towing strap thing. Him holding on to the back of that in case it starts going sideways on the landing. So I don't flip it. Mm-hmm. We found this, I think, was like a perfect chance to do a decent sized drop. It was maybe, it was like three foot from. Okay, my theory is that the buggy can theoretically go off a drop off its own at the height of its own wheelbase. Right. It's my theory. <laughs> I haven't tested it beyond this so far because, like, as long as it lands straight, the front wheels will always it'll always roll away. The front wheels will always roll away. Like it might bottom out a horrible angle and hard on the front, then the rear end will do the same. So anyway, I'm off this drop. It's like a three foot drop to a, a good slope on the landing. Just a good start. So rolled into it. At this point, the front wheels are off the top. I'm just balanced on the sha- like I'm on the chassis, bottoms out on the chassis. I'm like, is this a good idea? At this point, I'm like, no, I think I think I've done I think I've done the risk assessment. This will work. So I just go for it. Front end bottoms out hard. Rear end bottoms out hard and bounces. And uh, all is well. Everyone is like, I'm out with like two mates. We are both. Everyone's losing losing that shit. <laughs> Unbelievably stoked. And uh, yeah, just just having mates though do stuff and it's it's cool and uh i enjoy trying stuff i enjoy being there encouraging slash watching mates to try stuff it's cool it's yeah. it's cool like uh pushing each other like friendly atmosphere it's what i enjoy back riding bikes still enjoy now yeah amazing that, um, man amazing that, it's good to have that group of friends there with you right you know what i yeah. mean it makes all the difference exactly like that best mate was the guy that was riding with when i crashed he came to see me regularly in hospital i was still in hospital still there still riding bikes with him he's coming around in a couple of hours like even that like now and uh 
Oh, yeah. Good friends are so important. I think this accident has made me realise how important, like, really good friends and family are now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I don't know. It's cool appreciating things that you maybe didn't appreciate enough before. Yeah, yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, as far as awareness goes, Peter, uh, just about the issues, you know, in the MTB industry with injuries and stuff, like I'm sure you're in touch with people with something similar, with similar crashes, etc. Like, do you think the industry needs more awareness about that kind of thing? Um, Not that they would maybe want to show it, but, yeah. you know, you know. Um, it's a sticky position for them. They're advertising this lifestyle and these bikes and everything else. They obviously don't want to be. But ones with a bit of balls will maybe go for it and, and look at it in more detail. What Do you think it needs something like that? I'm in two minds about it. I more support for the people that do end up in these bad positions. Like, suit, yeah, absolutely on board with. Especially um, pro riders putting their lives on the line. Well. I know, Will, I know, I know, like, um, you're accepting that, the risk, but there's still, like, more support is great. I, um, but yeah, any, any more support for, like, riders that are in that position is brilliant. I, but also, there's a kind of a small part of me that's like, I don't, I don't want people to think about it too much, if that makes any sense as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm conflicted. Like I'll think the best people to support people with like after an accident like this are people with spinal cord injuries themselves. Because so as supportive as people are, no one else understands what you're going through. Yeah. Like no one else, like like really understands. Like the best people to help you are the people that've been there. This is why I think like the for for like spinal injury in particular, charities like there's um there's a fair, like few charities, Backup Trust, which were like great for great for me, like showing what's like what's there. Through them, like it was the Steph Snowden push fundraising challenge. Like I with a team, like I got to the top of Mount Snowden in my buggy. Wow. I'm pretty. I'm I, I I don't know for certain, but I think. I'm the first person that's ever got up there in a chin control wheelchair. Like yeah. they've had someone else that had tried it with a power chair before, but it's nothing like my buggy. And it was an ordeal. But like we got up there in like three and a half hours. On like the Flamberis path. Yeah, well. And raised a chunk of money um with it. Um yeah, I did like peer support through backup, like I said. Like during lockdown, like roads are empty. There are seven hills in Edinburgh, like not big ones, but the seven hills. And uh, I did a small like fundraising challenge while the roads were empty. I use my if people I was like follow restrictions, but if people choose to think this is a bad way to use my daily exercise tokens, fair enough, I'll deal with it. But like I was like, I'm gonna try and ride all seven hills of Edinburgh in a day, which I did. To raise money for charity, it's like spent the first couple of months wrecking them all out, working out a route, mm-hmm. and with the roads being empty, it was cool. Like, I got videos of like, like spinning around the roundabout at the top of the Royal Mile in Edinburgh, <laughs> which is normally so busy it's nuts. 
Um, Bieri did that in like a few hours, like surpassing my expectations. And uh, yeah, super thankful for being able to help. Really, I know like, lots of people in a bad way, but um, financially, but help the charities when their income suffering as well, because lots of it's dependent on being able to. Plus, their income is dependent on being able to offer that direct peer support in hospital, which isn't possible because we're not able to go into the hospital. Yeah. Etc. Um, but I would I would love to be able to widen the reach of adaptive mountain biking to show what's there. So, um, the buggy I've got now is like my only real option for anyone with like a high, really high level injury. But the it's a company called like Bowhead in Canada that make a uh, ridiculously well-engineered adaptive three-wheel adaptive mountain bike. So it articulates, I think. So in terms of seeing it, like Martin Ashton from GMBM has got one. Um, I've got a friend, uh, like a woman who, like, I was peer support for her. She broke her back in France, like Morzine, and I was peer support for her in the Spine in Glasgow. She lives in Leithen. She's super cool. She's got a bowhead. And it, so, yeah, it's, um, the coast, you can ride it down like a normal bike, as in braking, accelerating. You've got a fat bike wheel, powered fat bike wheel at the back. Uh, obviously, suspension both ends. And it's ridiculous what those things go down. So I'd love to I'd love to organise a mountain like um adaptive mountain biking like kind of ex- exhibition, I guess, show like even mm-hmm. if you get a tiny bit of worldwide media exposure, the reach of that is gonna be incredible. So this is very much might not happen, depending on if um the organizers of the EWS might be on board with it, but I'd love to organise even like a few hours with me, uh, me, cat, any other adaptive mountain bike riders in Inlethen in the Tweed Valley during EWS week. Mm-hmm. Is some some of the some of the journalists it, like this, the reach of that would be huge for everyone involved. And uh, no, that's something I'm keen to try and that's that's. Taking me a while to pull my finger out of my ass and actually start organizing, like try, but um, that's what I'm hopeful I can organize for October. Yeah. If I can, that would, I'd be so proud. Yeah. yeah, even if you start the ball rolling this season, you know, yeah, uh, uh, you know, and you put the feelers out there, if it maybe doesn't happen this year, it may happen next year or whatever, you know, I think it's a really good direction to go in. Um, and I think. We were chatting just before we hit record here about Bowhead uh, in Canada. Like I know the Ride Concept guys, the shoe manufacturers are partnered with them, them yeah. lads. Um, <clears throat> so it's good to see that. It's good to see that certain brands or whatever are looking at this and thinking, you know, we need to get more help for these guys because these buggies aren't cheap, right? Like how much is one of those Bowhead buggies? Oh, one of those Bowhead bikes probably like a similar price to mine, like. Yeah, my buggy was fifteen grand. Aye, so which you is, know. and then like, I got thank, I'm super thankful to Chris Porter and Mojo and like EXD Sharks. Like, there's four grand of suspension on it. 
Yeah. Just like I'm super thank you, super lucky. And um yeah, it's like adaptive mountain if you think mountain biking expensive, like adaptive mountain biking and just mobility equipment in general, like multiply it by an order of like an order of four or five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that just a, an economies of scale thing, do you think? Because there's not that many being produced or is it new technology? Why are they so expensive? Um, so you hear like you'll hear loads of net like I see both sides. You hear lots of people being like, Oh, mobility equipment's a rip off. But it is mostly economies of scale. Like yeah. that's that's the that's the realities of it. It's mostly economies of scale. Um it's Small numbers, uh, adaptions and everything. Everyone's got a different, like, lots of people got different disabilities, they need different adaptions. That requires a lot of time and a lot of uh, sometimes custom solutions, which again yeah. adds, adds to the cost. Like, that, that's where it, that's like, and the, the companies involved in making these like bikes and stuff. They're not. They're not laughing. Uh, they're not laughing into the uh, laughing into the sunset with your money, like making bank. Yeah. Um, they'll be making enough to survive, hopefully. Um, but the value they offer by off like by making these things, making this this equipment that lets people do this, is yeah. Mm-hmm. It's what yeah. I don't know if I'm explained everything yeah. well, but that's that's how I like I see I see both sides. Yeah. I'm pragmatic, you know. Yeah, like it's interesting. Like I would never even have thought of that. Like every one of these buggies, dependent on your injury, is basically custom made to you. Yeah, um, you know, base, that, that, the base model will be there, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't think about that. You see, like you know that that's the thing, and I suppose these guys are maybe having to come up with ideas or come up with remedies to help this and to make this work or that work and it's all you know it's all money it's all time it's all expertise at the end of the day so i can understand that yeah yeah um but no absolutely um collaboration in the industry if if we can make this exhibition thing happen if uh, something right i'll i'll get in touch with right concepts like i would if this went anywhere even if it was two riders and one media person while they're around in town like i would be over the moon with it yeah. um so yeah uh hook us up uh hook, put us in touch and uh i'd love to speak to them yeah so yeah. i think ride concepts i know it's uh i think it's i could be wrong i think it was paul baz i think they i think paul baz works with four ride concepts and they definitely uh, sponsor yeah. them yeah, if nothing right. else, and I think that's where it's coming from. Yeah, and uh, also, um, respect like also hiring anybody with a disability, like any disabled people, like that. That's so so valuable. Like I know the perceptions of what disabled people are capable of is just is neg- is harmful for everyone. Like mm-hmm. I know, I'm. I don't know what like my life will be like in terms of world of work. Like I'm not, I'm reasonably switched on. Done two years of mechanical engineering degree, coming to the end of my part time. 
like finish like combined studies, geography and energy engineering, love to go into renewable energy. But I know that perceptions about disabled people will hold me back. Like, yeah, it sucks. Um, but the amount of people that think just because I'm very physically disabled that I like I'm not capable of things, it sucks. Like, yeah. you know. Like I can still, I can still do things. My brain still definitely works. Like I've still got ideas about, I don't know, bikes and bike industry in general. I'm annoyed that I can't test them out. Um, <laughs> um, but like, yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you are uh, the best thing you can do to support disabled people, if you're in a position to hire, hire, hire them. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, somebody like Bowhead, you know, <clears throat> they would need somebody like you would be able to test their stuff for them, and you would, you'd be more than just a test rider because you would be mentally switched into the the geometry and how things are working. Like that would be amazing for them guys. Yeah, I know they. I know the um the founder, like he he's he had a spinal injury himself. Uh, he's he's an engineer, super impressive. Like I know, I know he hires disabled people. I like I'm not I'm not in a position with my injury to be able to help with products they make and show mm. accepts and I'm but I'm super supportive of them. I know that the company that makes the buggy I've got Quadrix. Lots of people they've got people um like disabled people that work there. Brilliant. Like, yeah. Lots of lots of the mobility companies like even offering wheelchairs, they hire disabled people, but mm-hmm. it's it's getting Getting that into the mainstream, that's the... Uh, yeah. Uh, a shout-out to, I think, Orange and Identity Bikes, who hired... who Michael Bonney. So have you heard about Michael Bonney, who broke his neck in a road crash? Right, okay. He was an engine, He worked at Orange Bikes for years and then went on to... Uh, and even after his accident, he were, did R&D, like development for Identity Bikes. Shout out to them for, uh, I think, uh, Pat Campbell-Jenner was involved with them at the time. Shout out to them. And it was Ison Distribution. That's the company that owns Identity, I think. Mm-hmm. Shout out to them as well for that. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Well, hopefully it ends in the right direction. Now, bar, bar your EWS thing, have you got anything else planned for the near future you can tell us about? Wanna, at some point when Backup Organizer Challenge organized the Ben Nevis push, I, well, it's called push because most people are in manual chairs, uh, you can try and get a Ben Nevis in the buggy, which would be so the highest mountain in England, Scotland and Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, it's deeper than Snowden, it's longer than Snowden. There are tougher sections. I don't know if it's possible, we need to go. Um, I'm going to get down to Wales at some point next year. Uh, I did. I remember doing like an MBUK shoot with like ride guys for Cadderidris. Gonna try getting up there in the buggy. I don't know. Just, just seeing people. Yeah, amazing. 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 Um, I've never been to Wales on the bike, but it looks absolutely stunning. Yeah, Scotland and Wales have got a lot to offer for mountain biking. This is mid Wales, but South Wales, the scene is. South Wales and like Forest of Dean, like there's a scene around there is big. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the same way that the Tweed Valley in Scotland is big, the scene. Well, and um, various parts in Scotland, like it's 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 going off in a good way. 
Yeah, cool, man, cool. Well, listen, Peter, I'm conscious of our time here. I don't want to take up too much more of your day. Like, where can people find out more about what you're up to and how to get in touch with you? Um, best place for me, the Instagram, I think, at BT Lloyd, uh, P-E-A-T-Y-L-L-O-Y-D. Um, that's, I've got loads of videos of doing daft stuff in, uh, in the buggy and generally having fun, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That's the best. That's the best place for me. And, uh, really enjoyed speaking to you, Matt. It's been really cool. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I know it was. Uh, it was Jesse May from Bike Rumor that um, um, put my put my name forward. Um, so yeah, thanks, Jesse. See yeah, you around soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. No, it was great, and uh, you know, it is awesome to get you on the show because it does need a little bit more awareness, and it's. You know, I don't want to put a damper on people going out and riding bikes or anything, but it's the reality of the thing, and we all need to be conscious of it. We probably all need to be doing a little more to help out, you know. Um, so it was great to have you on, great to have a chat, and uh, you're an absolute inspiration, bro, to be honest. You know, mentally how you've come through this, what you're doing, you're still very active in your buggy, you're still pushing the limits of that thing, and you know it's great to see it's absolutely awesome to see uh where you're at now so i appreciate you coming on and telling us the story i know it was probably not easy for you but awesome mate i really do appreciate your time no problem uh yeah i've enjoyed it i'm like i'm not i know i i don't have trauma associated with accident it's kind of one of those things like i've kind of like i went i like i went in my buggy to the place at the golfy like where where it happens like where the like the coast guard helicopter landed and i was like you, know, you, you expect to feel something you don't mm. anyway um yeah i'm just yeah happy to be on happy to speak to you happy to speak about cool people that are doing cool stuff yeah for sure bud well listen take care and um if i'm ever over your direction i'll definitely give you a shout and hopefully we can go out for for a ride and you can show me up in your buggy oh please do like yeah if you ever come to scotland to the tweed valley i'm in edinburgh give me a shout um i'm an hour away but there's a bed here for you um yeah amazing all right buddy thanks so much here enjoy the rest of your day all right yeah you too gareth take care Bye. that's a wrap for episode 199 i hope you enjoyed that folks and i hope it doesn't make you scared for going out in the trails as peter says he doesn't really know whether he wants to talk about it or not he doesn't want to scare people off but it's great to get somebody like peter on the show and have a chat about it so thank you so much for staying with the podcast if you listened right through to the end i know i appreciate it and i know peter will obviously appreciate it as well and peter i just want to say a big thank you to you for coming on the show and sharing your story i know it is been amazing for me to chat to you and i know the listeners will love to hear your story and it will have inspired so many people um, it's, it's unbelievable so thanks so much and listen i hope the ews thing happens for you later in the year and i hope you get the help there that you need to get a little bit more awareness to this issue and uh, i know i've been emailing you back and forth since then a little bit so hopefully fingers crossed we'll get some sorted there all right so Good luck with that, mate. Good luck for the rest of the year, and I will speak to you in the near future. 
Now, folks, if you want to know more about what Peter and myself chat about, you can go to the show notes, mtb-tribe.com, search for Peter's episode 199, and you'll get quick links there to Peter's socials and the charity backup and stuff that he does some work for. So it's all easy links there for your access. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to show your support, the best way is by subscribing, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts from. All of your ratings helps boost us on the algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people. Now, we also have a website you can check out, mtb-tribe.com, where you can find the complete back catalogue, listen and download every show from there for free. You can also subscribe to the podcast via there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the podcast. Now, if you want to get involved or want to get in contact with the podcast, you can find me on social media at mtbtribe on Instagram and Facebook. Or if you want to get in contact with me personally, you can find me via the old email info at mtb-tribe.com. Well, that's it for this week, folks. That's all I've got for you. But until next week, as always, get the bikes out, hit the trails, and stay MTB stoked.